Welcome to The Art of Growth. This is Jim Zartman. And today, Joel Hubbard, Hillary, and I are talking about the liminal space. We had put a post out on Instagram asking folks what you'd like us to talk about, what's some subjects you'd like us to cover. And so we're doing this episode and last week's episode on stereotypes as a couple of things that came up. And lately, this liminal space experience has been coming up a lot with our clients. So we thought we would talk about it for the wider audience as well here on the podcast. So before we jump into this week's conversation, if you don't know your Enneagram type or your instinctual stack, we have free assessments on our website, theartofgrowth.org to help you figure that out. And if you'd like to work with us individually in a coaching capacity, you can sign up for a session on our website or now even book a six-session package. And if you'd like to talk to us about possibly bringing us into your organization, because your organization would like to invest in some emotional intelligence for their teams, then reach out to us at theartofgrowth.org, and we can share with you what we've done to help companies from family-owned businesses all the way up to Fortune 100 companies, and even help you strategize around what might be most beneficial for your team or your organization. But for now, my friends, let's jump in to our conversation about liminal space. So this is something that keeps coming up from different clients I've been coaching. And one of them said to me recently, and it kind of epitomizes what I keep hearing, is she said, you know, since I'm no longer driven by my type, I'm finding myself caught in a space that's unfamiliar. It's kind of an in-between space where I'm not yet at the dr- place of being drawn, but that need, that ache that my type has had that I've tuned into and that I've lived from for so long has quieted. It's not as it's not loud as, as it once was. And, and so I'm kind of caught in this space and I don't know how I feel about it. It feels uh, disorienting in some sense. And so there's a there's a learning to kind of get comfortable with being uncomfortable, but it's still this space that's in between. So I thought I've I've heard this so much that it's been it's something I felt we should probably talk about, explore a little bit. What do we call that? <laughs> that's one question. What do we call that space in between? And how do we speak to it in a helpful way? What are some things perhaps that you know, we just think about perhaps we can do in that space that can be helpful. And, you know, how do we honor? So I'm suggesting something here because I think we need to honor that space mm-hmm. rather than just like skip past it. And I think, I think some people like me want to skip past that because it's un- uncomfortable. We want to get back to the sort of hopeful, dreamy, great. We got some vision. We got some direction. Now we can do something, but when you can't generate it from within, because it's no longer coming from that crave, that need to avoid, that need to do, that need to, you know, to achieve. What do you do? So I figured we'd explore that a little bit. First of all, what are you saying when that question is coming up? I'm what saying, are you saying in response to that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> well, welcome to, and I've used this term, and it's a, little, a bit, bit of a technical term. It's not definitely not a, um, a sticky one, although once people start using it, it's like they can't stop using it, which is liminal space. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, liminal space is that, uh, from an ar- architectural standpoint, it's, the, it's like hallways. It's uh, stairwells. It's an elevator. It's the long corridor between one's, one room or one office space and another office space. And so liminal has been used to speak of what happens when we're in the space between where we once inhabited and where we're going. Hmm. Uh, so at least I've been able to give them that. Like, that's, it's not unfit, like you're not alone. This isn't strange or weird or you're not, you, you know, you're, you're not the first to have wrestled with this. And so that can be a little bit helpful at least, but, you know, I've thought about some steps and some practical steps I think that people can take in the midst of the liminal space and we can explore some of those. Um, but yeah, how about, how about you guys? I mean, have you had conversations around the liminal space with other people and what have you called it? Have you called it liminal? Have you called it something else? Yes. This concept has come up a lot um, when I've coached people through burnout. And when they are in that recovery process where they're in maybe, and it it tends to happen more in like the middle of the recovery, right? Like they've dealt with 
all of this, you know, what led them there. They're starting to understand this cycle, their recurring obstacles. They're on that path to a growth cycle, but it's like this space, and I have called it the liminal space, this space in between where it's like the energy isn't there yet for the growth. It's just, they have not found energy balance yet. Like they're, they're not rejuvenated enough to go to get out of that space. And it's like, it's like they're at the top of even like a roller coaster and they're just like there, like they've climbed, they've done like that work. And then it's like, okay, am I going for, you know, another climb or am I going to dive down deep? And it's like this uneasiness. Like I've heard people describe Mm. it as like an uneasiness in their being, like it's like this anticipation. And I've also heard of, of some types saying like, I just feel like I'm on the outside looking in, like I don't have that next, but it's come up a lot, you know, in that those coaching with, with clients overcoming burnout. So I think, I mean, I've definitely <laughs> been hearing a lot about it and I, and I can, you know, empathize and relate with that as well as I'm sure all of us can. So I want to take yeah. a big highlighter and highlight something you just said. I think it's important to kind of repeat is you've come out of something. So I think that's, that's key. I think that's a huge piece, a big highlighter, big yellow highlighters, you know, right all over that. Like you've emerged from something and that itself had a lot of energy in it when you were in it. So whatever that was, you know, like a kind of chaos that you were in, you know, through, whatever, you know, it might've been an addiction. It could have been just workaholism. It could have been something that you were doing. Now that's that chaos has passed. So, so yeah, there's sort of like a, the frenetic energy has died down, but now there's not the, the next thing. I wonder if that's also why people don't like the, like the liminal space I think is avoided by a lot of people. And yet I think it's the transition to the next stage. And so I think that's we're avoiding and so they go back and create some other sort of chaos. And I think that's the reason why also people go to addiction, leave it, come back to addiction, um, whatever that might be. I'm talking, not talking about like addiction to drugs necessarily or, or alcohol. I'm talking about like addiction to anything, to your work, to your, your patterns of behavior. Uh, and we go back to those things because they, they, at least their energy, at least there's something familiar about it. It's a known quantity. Well, that's what I was thinking is we have to actually back up a little bit because, well, how did they get in that place that they are now leaving? So at one point in time, that was the place they were moving toward for whatever reason, whether it was a necessity and even moving into an addiction, it's the attempt to solve a problem. There's an energy that's pulling you toward the place that you have lived for a while because it worked, right? And we even think about in the Enneagram world, you had a predisposition to a type, but it was the circumstances that you were in that solidified you living into the type. So you were able to absorb the stories that that type was telling. And so you landed here. So wherever you came from, whatever was before, you were trying to solve a problem, you were trying to navigate the world, and then you arrived in a certain place, probably because it initially worked or at least partly worked for a while. And that's the problem is it partly worked for a while. And so it does take this huge amount of energy, like you just said, to then leave out of that space and move towards something else. And so there's almost stages even within the the liminal space, which is the coming away from and then you're looking over your shoulder like, do I really want to leave that? There's almost a, a nostalgia initially in the breaking away and you start remembering all the good things. So, and then there's like, I'm I'm in the middle of nowhere. I know I can't go backwards, but I don't really know where I'm going. I, I can feel myself moving, hopefully, or f- I just feel like I'm floating out in space because I think space is a good word for this. But I don't have the energy where I really feel like I'm getting pulled forward to where I want to go yet. Yeah. And so I think this is why, you know, Joel, and I was thinking about uh, when we were working on editing your book and the Hebrew story of like Egypt, leaving Egypt, being in the desert, but not being in the promised land. And you see them going through these stages when they leave uh, for a while. It's like anything goes wrong. And they're like, well, at least it was better. It was actually better back there. And I don't have the full sense of where we're going in the promised land. 
So I'm now in this space, but then I'm still moving forward. Now I can't, I don't feel like either. I think that's, I think the center of liminal space is actually the hardest because you know, you can't go backward and you don't know where you're going forward. And so that middle place is really where you just feel like you're floating. Mm. And so I think then, then that third stage is like, oh, I'm moving forward, but I'm not there yet. And I just feel like it's just out of reach. I know I can now, I have an idea of what's possible. And so I'm trying to move forward, but man, it just feels out of reach. So I think mm. there's actually those three stages within the liminal space. Yeah. Also, I was thinking about this idea of how different types might view the liminal space. For some types, the liminal space might become comfortable and and almost safe because it's like, well, I know I didn't like that back there. Maybe I liked some of it, but I'm not willing to re-experience all of it. But I'm so scared of what's ahead that maybe I'll just stay here. Maybe this is safe. Nothing's happening to me, but nothing's really happening for me either, you know, but it's mm. just, it's, it's comfortable, right? I imagine in that Egyptian mm. story, like there was probably some people who were like, oh, I'm circling, I'm circling the promised land. That's okay. Like, at least I know it's coming. I got manna. Yeah. <laughs> I got manna. I got water. We got our tents. The day's it's, predictable. It's, <laughs> it's so know? funny. It's like, that's such a hard concept for me to access. And so as you're talking about that, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? Because I can't imagine that because it's always there's an energy of that movement. But I'm like, oh, my goodness, there probably are some that would relate to that. Yeah. Just being like, can I just actually stay in a more neutral? It's not that bad. It may not be great, but it's not too much of any one thing. So, so all of you types out there. Big thanks to Hillary, because otherwise we would have stayed in that assertive triad and continued to talk about know, how the hell you get out of this liminal space <laughs> and who wants to be in it. So, yes, uh, really brilliant point. So that is that is I can totally see certain types that have preference for what's whatever has become familiar. That's what's most comfortable. Whatever is certain, that's what they're going to uh, stick to. So if it's the previous stage, they'll stick there. You know, when they're thrust out <laughs> into that liminal space, then it's like, well, let's see if we can get comfortable here. What if we, you know, once we understand it, know it, uh, we're familiar with it, then we can we can hang out here. Um, yeah, so a really good point. Uh, to that point, because that's a little bit of a wrinkle. Now it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> Since we are, uh, I think to your point, Jim, there are different, definitely different stages within the liminal space and how we navigate that. And to understand that life is movement and all reality is movement and how we go about movement will depend upon the type for sure. Hmm. So some will hurry that movement. Some will stay behind and be behind that movement. And yet the path seems to push us from a place of comfort, from a place of familiarity, from a place of even the chaos becomes familiar to us, whatever it is that we're experiencing uh, in the present moment. And then it moves us to that liminal space. And that's also movement within it. Because even the liminal is like this space. And I like the term space that you use, Jim. It's like at some point there's like this weightlessness, you know, when astronauts leave the atmosphere at a certain mm. point, there's like this space that is where there's the least amount of gravitational pull. It's always some kind of gravitational pull, but it's the least amount. And so you're kind of there uh, floating around. But with the spiritual path, there's still always movement. There's always something about this stage that is inviting us into some kind of next step. But it's not necessarily going to be familiar uh, to us. We're not going to look at that next step and go, oh, my type intuits, because your type intuits certain steps. It's like, these are the action steps I have to take, right? And this will invite us into something different, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, this whole idea of like the moving and the energy. So it, let me visualize this for a second because it really helps me kind of get a, a handle on it more. When I think about it, I actually believe, and I'm happy to be proven wrong, <laughs> but I actually believe that 90% of life is like moving through a liminal space and like only 10% would kind of land because like most of life is energy in motion moving from one point to another with like a magnet draw that we're going towards something. And then there's like a magnetic sense of either being pulled toward that or then pushed away from that. And so I feel like my whole life is like, I've never landed anywhere, right? I never feel like 100% at home. 
it's like what's happening within an atom. There's energy that's constantly being moved like toward and then away from points of, of another point of origin. So I feel like most of life, I want to get good at living in that liminal space because that is the here and now, but we're moving towards something. But as soon as we get there, we're going to get pulled on towards something else or we're going to have to be pushed into another direction. So I think that the movement is the natural state. If something is alive, all matter is energy in relationship. It's all about the movement of the energy from one place to another, being pushed, being pulled. You know, you're moving at, you know, every partnership, right? You're drawn to this person. You get closer and closer and closer, and then you need a kind of a space and individuate. Say g- good morning and give a hug, and then you like leave for work and push away. Um, the kid, we were, we're so excited to bring this kid into this world. We're moving toward having a kid and then they get older and they move further away. Like all of life is this push and pull toward and away where it never feels, it doesn't feel fixed. So I actually wonder as we, this, we talk a lot about the liminal space, but I actually wonder if that is actually the most natural state for us to be in. Even I'm thinking about the education we give on the types and emotional and behavioral patterns in the Enneagram world, right? We talk about what someone might look like in growth, what someone might look like in stress. And we bring awareness to those emotional and behavioral patterns. And we encourage people to be aware of those in themselves, but we're only fixed on these two sides of the, the pendulum, right? We're like either focused on growth or focused on, or focused on the behaviors of growth or focused on the behaviors of stress. Like, is there language to help people become more aware of what you were saying? Like, maybe it is like this day-to-day, like the normal, the present is the liminal space. And is there language that we can give people to help them become more aware of what that liminal space looks like for them. Because I, my, my guess is that just like how we say, you know, someone in stress can look like someone else in health, right? So my guess is one person in the liminal space that it's not going to look the same for each person. And how can we become aware? And what does, when we have that awareness, then what? Yeah, I want to, um, kind of maybe push back a bit on like use of the term liminal space is not necessarily referencing like progress or growth or change because all of life is change. It's much more of a stage and it's experiential. It's not something we can, we can nail down and put within a particular three point bullet point definition. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, it's, it's extremely elusive, but there's a sense of it. There's a experience of it where people say like, you know, if I look back at my life, I can see that there was always change. There was always something moving, but these are big shifts. So maybe that's what we're talking about is sort of like a big shift from one place to another. So a good analogy that you'd brought up, Jim, is you have a child, right? That child is always individuating and always coming back. And there's that process for most of their lives. But then at a point when they move out of the house, that's a big change. That's more of like, okay, now we've entered into a new phase, a new stage, right? There are smaller stages within it. It's like, oh, crawling and now walking. And every parent that has had their child go from crawling to walking, it's a big shift because now you're chasing that little toddler and you're like, this thing is going to destroy the house or kill themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so you're running around a big shift there, yeah. But it's not the same size as when they leave for for college. That's a big yeah. shift, right? So I think from liminal, it's that like whatever was my natural orientation or my natural way of, of engaging life has suddenly shifted. Loss of a job that you've been at for yeah you know, ten years, um, you know that that kind of thing. So anyway, so yeah, just a just a thought on like how do we talk about it from a stage perspective while keeping in mind this very astute point of like, but there's also movement within all of it. And to the degree that we can understand that and make peace with movement, we can also kind of prepare ourselves for the larger movements as well. And those Mm -hmm. are stage differences, I think. Hey, we're going to interrupt this episode for a moment to say sometimes we hit a point where we need a little guidance. We need someone who will come alongside us 
and amplify the best of our voice so that we can navigate the road that is ours to walk and ours to make. If you are interested in having myself, Jim Zartman, Joel Hubbard, or Hillary Kay walk with you in that way, you can reach out to us for a single session to try it out, or we now have six session packages available on our website, theartofgrowth.org, under the coaching section. All right, back to this episode. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point about, you know, what the really big shifts. And I wonder if it also is like how many things are shifting at the same time. And I think like with COVID, there's, I think there's a reason a lot of these conversations are coming up more because it's like, well, what world and universe are we living in now? And I think that context that the world has been in, it's creating major shifts because multiple different areas are being affected at the same time. So I was just walking in the woods talking to a type two last week and it was like, okay. I said, yeah, you're in this liminal space because literally every single part of your life has changed. So like spiritually, you're going through um, an upheaval of something you've always held to be really close at hand. And now I'm not sure what's going on. Relationally, well, you just physically moved states. There's a lot of uh, relational upset at home and your, your friendships aren't the same. You're like not sure how to think or feel about where you are right now. You're physically going through some kind of like uh, health issues, which can really create a major shift in what you're going on. And then there's a, a financial shift as well. So in like the five main currencies of life or capitals, as one of my friends calls them, the spiritual, the relational, intellectual, physical, and financial, all of these areas are are really struggling. I said, so maybe a little grace for yourself because you've literally had every single major thing that can cause stress. All of them are happening at once for you. So mm. when you talk about a major shift, it's like, well, how many different areas of your life are being you know upended right now? So you're talking about the externals. There are Andy, yeah, yeah, right? So what happens to the internal? Yeah, Because you can handle, right? And you, you know this as a type eight, there's a lot of things you can handle externally, right? But then there's a certain point, there's a tipping point. And then it's like, now I can't, right? Now I can't mm. handle all of this stuff. Right. And I think that's true for all types. It's like, there's a point at which the externals start to really impact your internals. And the internal sense of orientation towards the world shifts. And it's not a small shift. It's a big shift because everything is like, and it's not like I've shifted to a new way. It's I've shifted out of an old way and I don't have a new way. That's what makes that space so terrifying at first is because everything I knew on how to engage the world, because I can handle certain stress. I can handle a lot of different things, but then at a certain point it affects the internal and there's this internal shift that then causes you to no longer know how to engage life as you once did. Well, and I think about when you talk about the internal shifts, like when we have those external things happen, our internal, we go into that flight, fight, freeze, fawn, right? And if those are internally heightened, right, whatever our coping mechanism is because of these external stressors, if that's heightened, when that is when our body, our nervous system calms down internally, the body is so used to operating in this fight, flight, you know, freeze, fawn, that it doesn't know what to do. And so we don't know what to do externally, right? And taking the next step. And actually internally, our nervous system is confused <laughs> on what mm. to do. So we're dealing with both this external confusion but we're also dealing, our nervous systems are dealing with the internal confusion of how they're supposed to operate now that that stress is reduced inside the body as well. And I think the liminal space affects the, 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 the intellectual space. So what you're mentioning are there like you have the nervous system, which is much more of the sort of reactive part of our lives. But let's say all of that goes away and the stress goes away. We can go back to the, to the way we were normally functioning. I think what throws us into the liminal space is even our mental models. The our very perspective of our of the world for us has shifted. Sure. And it's like, oh my gosh, what I once thought, I can no longer think. I can no longer hold on to that. And that I think is so disruptive that that's what throws us out of that previous stage. 
Well, yeah, well, both of you are bringing up an interesting thing about three centers. I wonder if, you know, physical disruption, emotional disruption, mental disruption, like if each of those will have a varying effect on making someone feel like I'm not in the same world anymore. Because like I... I feel like the whole world is like a kid who just moved to a new town and goes to a new school and is walking in and being like, where am I right now? And so naturally, Joel, I was thinking your actual experience of speaking French in the home and then having to go to school for the first time and everyone speaking English and you were in, what was it, kindergarten? Yeah. And it's just like, well, even if you're in the new space, there there's so much that's just unfamiliar where you're living between these different worlds and you're trying to adjust to a new world that you've suddenly be th been thrust into, which isn't exactly liminal, but the ex I think the internal experience is still liminal. Yeah, or when you have a realization that what you understood, you're, like you ever get this news about family member that you had no idea, but that was so significant that it caused you to go, what I know of this person I huh, can't believe yep. anything anymore, right? That's that's one of those yeah. one of those massive shifts <laughs> that fundamentally affect everything. It's it's that free that is just terrifying. That cuz cuz that disorients you completely. It's like loss of trust, <laughs> loss of understanding. Everything you once thought, now you have to toss out. Right. Or like one of your heroes like someone you were close to, a family member is like one. Like we had this uh, several years ago with a family member where, you know, I, someone I, I liked, I connected with on like the family, extended family vacations. And then we get back from one of these vacations and I'd spent a lot of time with this person. And like two months later, I found out he had like been living two separate lives, one of them with the family that I knew. And one was like a whole other universe, one of my friends actually found out like his dad had another family that he didn't know about. It's like one of those things where you hit this point yeah, where you're like, you're like, oh my God, how did, yeah. like, it doesn't yeah. even compute. Like what universe are we in? I'm so lost right now. Yeah. Well, because it, it, it's not just that you question now the individual, like, oh, you're- But all of reality. <laughs> all of reality. Your own ability to know the truth. Ugh. Oh man, it's like, well, how in the world did I not see this? What is so? That's the su stuff that just throws you out. It's like a thrusting out. Yeah. Not only can I not trust them, but I don't. Tr can I can't trust me and my me. Yeah. And I think that goes back to like this three centers conversation of you know I can imagine like if I was in a situation like you were just describing, Jim, I would and that that thrust for me, I'd be like oh my gosh, that person's words, I, I felt those words. The words were matching the feeling toward me, you know, mm -hmm. with me. And then I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, like I now can't trust myself. I, what is this type yeah. of thing? And I'm sure like the, the, the thrusting out is going to be experienced differently through the three centers as well. Yeah. Like depending on where, you know, what's your primary um, and how you perceive the world. So it sounds like the way we're talking about right now is this disconnection from what I thought reality was. So that's the head center, because that's true of all types, right? It doesn't matter whether you're head center or not not head center. It happens to, to, to all types when your sense of reality, your perspective of reality shifts. But then it's also okay. sort of like what happens when the core motivation also shifts of your type. So like it never goes away entirely. Uh, for let's use an example, a type, we'll use archetypes here, and then maybe add some pepper in some other types that we've heard from. But one of them, coaching is a type three. And she said, I'm finding myself in my nine a lot, like going to the nine and narcotizing. But there's also a sense of which I'm not as driven. I don't feel that like I need, I need, I need, I need to succeed. And I need to have people admiring me I like it, but it's not the thing that's that's driving me nearly as much as it once did. And so I'm finding myself not sure of what to do or, you know, to rely on that sort of shame that used to drive me where I, if I didn't do enough or I didn't do what I was, you know, I was supposed to do, that shame would drive me and I'd get back on that horse and I would push really hard. 
well, that's not there as much anymore. And so I'm not sure how to engage life as much anymore. So that feels to me a little bit more heart-centered because more motivation tends to drop a little bit lower into that, into that heart space. Yeah. And as a three, I can definitely relate to that. And I would add that when I have experienced being in the liminal space, my motivation is not, it changes from failing externally. Like I don't want anyone to see my failure to where when I'm in the liminal space, I feel like I'm failing myself. Mm-hmm. But the core of who I am, like, what do you mean? Like, you don't have drive to do anything. Yeah. You're not drawn to that next project. You're not drawn to, you know, finding your next speaking opportunity. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you're feeling who you are at your core. Yes. So it comes that that core motivation becomes very internal toward me to to me yeah. instead of external. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to say it was like a disconnection from identity, but it's really it's like what. I understand that point where it's it's disconnection from what I thought my identity was. And that loss. And I think I think you can look at that in all types. Like I, I mean, we're talking about the three here, but I think it's the the loss of self. And it's Joel, you you talk about this. Yeah. It's like you have to return to self. And maybe that's in the liminal space, is that that place of returning to self. Well, so my argument for this uh, is, and I'm putting this in the in the book that I'm writing, is like I think that there's a reorganization. And so there are parts of yourself that you say, wow, that was not really ever truly me. <laughs> that was sort of something I adapted or brought, un- brought in as a means to surviving in the world. But I can let go of this. And then other parts where it's re- things that are returning to you, parts that you exiled out early on that, that are coming back. So I think there's a lot of reorganization that takes place that yeah. then frames you out differently. But it's, it does feel unfamiliar because yeah. you're familiar with the ways you've done things for years as a means to survive. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'm trying to do this whole thing where I went through this phase where I was like, well, that wasn't really me or that's not really me. Yeah. But I go, well, it, it was at the time. Yeah, it wasn't. And I want to make mm-hmm. peace with that. Like, I want to yes. make peace with my own evolution. I want to make peace with my own history. There's so many parts of me where I'm like, well, that's not me. And I, and I, treat it like the toxic friend, right? Like, like got to get away from this. Um, but it's not, it's like, this is actually all a part of me. And at one point in time, the thing that was my holy water is now my bitter waters. And I need to move away from that. But yeah, it was a part of me. It was good at a, one point in time. And I think it's really actually hard to move through the liminal space without actually showing gratitude to the place we came oh, from, even yeah. if it no longer fits us. Yeah. So I think the first stage is like you're, you're describing, so like a pushing away, because there's going to be a, there's going to be the drawback. Like you were saying, you can look over your shoulder because you just exited. So you're looking back. And then other parts of you are also another experience that you have. It's a rejection, an utter rejection of that former self or that former relationship or, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that is a, and it's a real extreme. It's like, there's a lot of energy, a lot of force against it. It's yeah. an individual, it's part of the individuation process, right? So the right. children do this. It's like, no, I don't want this. And it's a lot of intensity around it. Uh, I think that that's an important part. And I tell people all the time, like, you have to honor that, right? I, I have to remind myself of that. You have to honor that part. Like you have to do that at each stage. I think you have to honor the previous stage. Love it. Show it a lot of grace, um, which gives you, allows you to relax into the growth process. Because otherwise any sort of like gripping tightly or pushing really hard on anything, yeah. it's like you're not allowing yourself to stay within that fluid motion, that dance with your dance partner, your spiritual dance partner, like moving through the path and seeing what's in front of you and what's next. It allows you to relax into seeing more. Like, oh, that was necessary. Oh, okay, I get it. Oh, and that part I can let go of. All right. Yes. I can let go of that. Yeah. Well, what you're saying right now, this I think this puts what we what people have been calling like cancel culture in the framework. Because mm. if you have you have to understand yeah. what's happening so much now is there is that explosion, that reaction against and trying to push away from something. It's an unsustainable thing. It won't be a sustainable part of our culture, but it is a reaction against something now that people feel they have to push against. So part of me goes, well, this is a natural uh, evolution 
as a, as a group of people that people have to do something. They have to have this extreme rejection. But then at the same time, I see it as, well, these are people just who haven't made peace with their own evolution. And when they make peace with their own evolution, they're less likely to quote unquote, cancel someone else. Like whenever I see it, I kind of see the 13 year old saying, I hate you, mom. Um, (laughs) Whenever I see anything in this cancel culture world, because they're trying to buck away from something, even if that's part of an important part of development, eventually I hope that the maturing process continues to where people can make peace with their own evolution and then they're less likely to want to have this extreme reaction against another. And I think if you're able to make peace with your own evolution, you're freeing up energy for the liminal space because you're not, your energy isn't as push, right? We talk about push and pull energy. Yeah. 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 But like, if you're continually pushing and giving that push energy to the past, or even if yeah, you're yeah. feeling the pull energy from the past, like, come on, you can, you can come back here. It's safe here. Yeah. Mm. Right. Like that frees up the space. It frees up yeah. the energy to give Brilliant. to the liminal space. Brilliant. Absolutely. Ooh. Yeah. That's a really good, I'd love to tease that out even more. It's like, it's, it's like, because of the pushing at, at the beginning, you do have to push. There is that, like, I've got to push away from what was, right. Or it's pushing against you, even if you don't want to, and you're reluctant. <laughs> right. to so the push happens either way, right? So you're getting that's the thrust into the into the exile stage or into the uh, liminal space stage, and then you're absolutely that's genius because then you have to have something that is pulling you, you know, forward. And if your energy is still in that reactive stage, or still in that pushing away, or still in that trying to hold on to something that is pushing you away. I think you're you're right. That's that's a place of stuckness for for some folks. Yeah, but it's rocket fuel. It'll burn out. That rocket fuel will burn out after you break out of the atmosphere, and you'll keep going, and then you'll be magnetically drawn towards somewhere else. Well, hopefully, but, but, yeah. But what you were saying about cancel culture is part of the whole idea for me of anything that turns into a movement or an institution is a way to freeze to create something in a fixed stage. So as not to move out of that, it's like a protective thing. Like I want, I need everybody with me. I need everybody agreeing with me. I need everybody to see it the same way. This is truth. This is it. This is, this is a landing, a destination, a place. Mm. And I think that that's the problem with a lot of that is that you've, you've reduced it to that when it's intended to be much more of like a, Oh no, this is where I'm at. And it's terrifying. I'd like to have everybody else with me. I'd like to have an institution that backs yeah. me up on this. I'd yeah. like to have a whole movement. I'm yeah. laughing because in my head, I just interpreted that. You build the institution once the movement has actually stopped working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's 100% that. Because I, you don't need the institution. Oh, yeah. It just has a natural flow and a natural energy. But once oh, yeah. it stops working, we have to actually build the institution. To, that's, but you see this happen over and over again, right? Something that came to me in that, like, as you were talking about, like, the rocket fuel, like, the fuel's going to run out, right? That energy's going to run out. I don't actually think the energy runs out. It just becomes more still. So, like, how can we find peace in the stillness of the energy? And, like, how, like, in that space of, like, coming to terms with the past, like, we don't have to... Like you don't always feel energy when it's still like, but it's yeah. there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so how can we bring peace to this, to the still and say that's energy too. That's movement. The stillness is movement coming to terms yeah. with the past is movement. It might not feel like movement, but there is still energy in stillness. Yeah. So as a seven, I didn't, I didn't understand, particularly as a sexual seven, I did not understand the difference between good energy and bad energy. It was like, just it's energy. energy. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Anything. So conflict. So some of you sevens out there, you will not relate one iota. And I get that because uh, for you, conflict is everything you avoid. Not me. I didn't always avoid conflict. I kind of, sometimes I didn't like it and I avoided it for periods of time, but that sexual instinct would kick in and be like, you know, if there's, if there's drama, if there's something going on, well, then that's better than nothing. And so that kind of quality of energy 
because I grew up that way, grew up in that kind of space, it was familiar. And to make that big leap to something different. And I remember when I first started coaching, because the joke for me for a long time was, I don't coach, I don't do any of that stuff because that's boring. I, said, I don't understand how anybody could sit with anyone and talk about their problems for an hour. That is that is the worst sounding thing ever. And so, uh, and that was years. And I had plenty of support. My wife would say, she'd say, yeah, absolutely. You would never do that stuff. You hate that stuff. And then when I uh, did my first coaching session, I remember walking away thinking, well, that's different. And then I asked myself, is that good or bad? <laughs> and I couldn't, mm. I couldn't define it that way. It was like, it's a different type of energy that I'm feeling in this space. It's not hyperactive. It's not the buzz I get from having done a performance or a presentation because I love that stuff. It was restful. And so I had to judge it differently. I had to say, ask myself the, a different question, which was, what's the fruit of my life? What, what can I see the fruitful or the results, the fruitful aspect of it after that session, the, the, the coaching session. So I'd ask myself that question. How am I doing in my relationships with like, say my wife after a coaching session or my, or my son? And I noticed that I had better quality of energy. I was more present. I was calmer. And she also noticed it. And she, she was, uh, she was like all thumbs up, keep doing it because who you are mm -hmm. is a calmer, more present, more happy person from that. But it was a different quality of energy than it was from before. And I think to your point, Hillary, it's, yeah, it's a more restful energy. Can you enter into that? Can you make peace with it? I think that's part of it. Yeah, because the, like the imagery of that rocket ship, you know, having that rocket fuel that's pushing away from Earth's gravity. But I always, you know, in my mind as I was picturing this, that moment where they clear the atmosphere and they drop the rocket boosters and all of a sudden it goes kind of quiet because they're just kind of now moving mm -hmm. naturally through space. It's not so much a, like, I've got to push away from this. It's like, yes, it's movement, but it's kind of all those engines. You're not hearing the roar, just mm -hmm. the sheer volume of the, of like trying to push away from something. And like, there's this quiet moment. Now I've entered a new space and I'm heading towards a new destination. Mm -hmm. And now there's is a little bit more settled and I've already set my course. <laughs> I can kind of trust. Mm -hmm. I can trust the trajectory that I'm on. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So what are some, what are some things we can share that could be helpful, you know, from our own experiences of engaging the liminal space? Uh, Cause I think engaging rather than disengaging or voiding or, or hurrying through it. I think that's the, sort of word I'm using is engage the, engage the process, engage the space so that you can embrace it fully and it can have its work on you as much as it needs to, to prepare you for, for your next stage. Yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, I like to be a hundred percent honest, if I could have avoided it, I would have, I, I, this wasn't, it was never chosen path because it hurt. Right. So if I could have made the pain stop, if I even could have gone back in certain situations, totally would have. Couldn't engage until I accepted the reality. This is where it is. So we've often said like acceptance is the first step. So this is where I am. I, I want to go there, but I'm, I'm here. And so I have to start with that. And there's a surrendering to that saying, okay, I am surrendering to the fact that this is where I am. Mm. I didn't want this. I didn't choose this. This was not supposed to be, but it is. And I own the destiny of what this thing becomes. And I have to honor that. I have to live in that space. And so it was acceptance. <laughs> After all of the grief process of the denial and the depression and the anger, I think, which is a natural part of that pushing. Yeah. But then coming to that acceptance and surrendering and then that surrendering, turning to trust and saying, okay, but now I know I'm moving to a new place. But, you know, given the option, I wouldn't have engaged. <laughs> like, I hate to admit that, but I just, I wouldn't have if I wasn't forced to, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. And I totally resonate with that too. And I think I came to the point where when I realized I couldn't get out of it, it was like, okay, if you can't get out of it, then you need to go through it. And how do you work through that with grace, compassion, mm. acceptance? And so I started looking at it like, 
okay, this space for me, yeah, like uh, resonate a lot with your client, Joel, of of I'm here, I'm, I'm kind of living in my nine, right? And so I am more withdrawn, I am quieter, but then I'm like, okay, well, how can I, how can I work through that? Like, what are some of the ways that the nine works through that, right? And the nines and the beauty of that is that they're super reflective, right? They're not as reactive. So how can instead of being reactive in this space and being annoyed and reacting to this fact to that I have no, you know, I don't know the direction is like, okay, I'm going to be reflective because that's what helps the nine during this time. And I'm living in that space right now. So how can I go through that with the strengths of Mm. this space? And so that's kind of how I had to frame it for myself is if I can't go get out of it, I have to go through it. So let me glean on the strengths of, of this space that I'm in to help me on that journey. And to know you're, you're, you're loved in that space yes. too. Like I think for each type to know, like receive love, it's there, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're loved in the midst of what you're going through. In some cases, some people won't be able to love you appropriately. And, and that's pos- also very sad and very painful part of the the process of of uh, the liminal space you know we we become more receptive i think to love and recognizing this is what i need right now as it is extremely difficult and painful and emotional or lack of emotion sometimes it's just like i feel flat uh, but i think that that's a, a an important part so and i love what you said in terms of accessing the resource points i think that they are there for you all, all types have resource points that are helpful and that are there to help you during during difficult times as well. What about you, Joel? Yeah, well, I think some of it's already been mentioned. I think for me, you know, I remember going through a period as a seven where I didn't, I didn't feel joyful at all, and I didn't, and I didn't want to perform any longer. I was tired of always having to be upbeat, positive, spinning a new idea, giving, you know, just driving that all the time. And um, which is, again, what I believed people wanted. I don't know that they actually did, but that's what I believed. And so I think finally making peace with my own sadness and my own anger, my own depression and recognizing it was there. It was just that I was running from it all the time. And it, it was a period of time that I learned how to do it in a way that didn't throw me down too far. So it was like, mm-hmm. okay, engage, you know, it'll be there, but then return to joy and I remember saying to myself, engage the season, engage it, engage it, Joel. Don't disengage. I had to walk, I had to talk myself through it because I wanted to embrace and get everything I could out of that stage because I knew it was there to teach me. And I did not want to fail this stage because I felt like I'd done, I had failed mm. previous stages where I had opportunities to grow. Yeah. It still benefited me, but I wanted to take even more benefit out of the stage uh, that I was in. And that was shortly after my burnout or during my burnout and just being able to embrace it fully. There were quiet moments and I did access my five quite a bit and I accessed my, my one as well, which was just like, put one foot in front of the other, (laughs) just put one foot in front of the other. Um, And that helped me to get through that stage. But also there were moments of depth and beauty that I would never, ever trade and I think the liminal space offers that if we can, again, in, embrace it full is there's beauty and there's depth and there's richness, because I think you, you come into contact with um, parts of yourself that you had forgotten about um, parts of yourself return uh, during that, that stage, the, during the liminal stage, because you're reflective, but what it had worked up to this point isn't working. So you're, you're much more reflective and you're looking at things. And, wow. I, I'd forgotten about this. But I think that prepares you for what I'm putting in the book is the third stage, which is the stage of fruitfulness. So I think it's preparing you for fruitful because I think we we're made for that. But that the liminal space is definitely the gift to help get rid of some of the stuff that you once brought, that you carried with you in the previous stage that was necessary. And then the return of some of the exiles, the exile parts of yourself. And all of that prepares you for it. So I think that, that those are some of the things that I took away, some of the lessons that I learned during that phase, but a lot of it was just stay present, stay present. Don't, don't bounce out. Don't bounce out of this. Don't hurry it. Yeah. Don't lag behind, stay present to it. What's it teaching you today? What is being asked of you and being okay with not being okay 
And that was so hard because people wanted me to be okay. And I wasn't okay. And I learned how to be okay with not being okay. And even helping other people be okay with me not being okay. It was like, well, are you okay? Is everything? I said, listen, I will be okay. I'm struggling right now and I need to, but it's not on you. You don't have to carry anything and you don't have to fix anything. I'm good. And so that was helpful. And then I found some people that were really, you find part, you find people that along the journey, they come along just for that moment and they come alongside and they're there to walk you through that part, that, that difficult phase. So. I noticed in all of our stories that there was a point in which the narrative changed from like, this doesn't feel good. I don't like this back there to, I have to engage with this here and now. And it's almost like the story that you told yourself changed to being one of like, this is not good or bad. Because when we were talking about the space between, I thought of the Dave Matthews song, A Space Between, and in there, he he quotes in a different way, but he it's essentially a reworking of the Rumi phase, which is like, beyond right and wrong, there's a field, I will meet you there. And that's the space that we all had to enter into, hmm. is to change the narrative to say that this is beyond right and wrong, but this is what I have to engage with now. I'm responsible to live into this. Mm. Beautiful. So thank you for listening and participating in this really a exploration for wisdom that we're trying to do here. And thank you for being part of it. And thank you so much to all of you who have been contributing and commenting on a lot of our Instagram work lately. We're trying to do some different stuff over there. And so we really appreciate that. And if you're not following us on Instagram yet, it's just called Art of Growth. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you leave us a review on iTunes, it really helps people find the show. So until next time, my friends, I'm going to leave you with a reading of one of the poems from my book called And I Would Lift You, which is now on Audible on audiobook form. But this poem, which I actually wrote kind of laughing and joking around with someone on a coaching call, turned into be a little bit more profound than I thought. And it does tie into what we were talking about today. So I'm going to finish by reading this one called There and here. You want to be there, but you are here. You have to be here in order to get there. And when you get there, it will then become here. And there will be a new there. So be here. Grace and growth, my friends.